Good morning. This is the Daily Wrestling News Show for March 15th, where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. My name is Ryan Joy. It is a special day. It is a special episode. John DeCani is here with me. We are probably going to go a little bit longer than five to ten minutes today. We are talking about WrestleMania 3, bigger, better, better, as we count down this year's WrestleMania, this is day three of these special episodes, John. Yes, and uh, this is a monumental day. So it is, uh, it is one of the real big ones, right? I'm wearing the Icon versus Icon, Hogan versus Andre shirt. I see you've got some Randy Savage on. Yes, sir. The cream of the crop who played a important undercard role in this day. That's right. Um March 29th, 1987, they announced 93,173 fans. The actual number is 90,817, but let's not let let's let's not uh let's not let the facts get in the way of a good story here. Uh, John, this was outside in Michigan in March. And you can see that when you look at the audience, the styles of the late 80s, the mustaches, jean jacks, uh, mustaches, jean jackets. And I even saw sports coats. So it was kind of an eclectic bunch gathered uh, in a, on a March day in Michigan. Yeah. And it, it was, uh, a, it was quite an event because, and I feel bad for being the one who always points out uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon kind of being the devil uh, to make sure he filled that building. He blacked out the pay-per-view in the state of Michigan. So if you wanted to see the biggest event in wrestling history, you better get your ass to Pontiac on that day. Uh, so, yeah, people from all over the state were there in Pontiac, Michigan, in that beautiful dome that it looked like, like you know, it, there was, it was such a big event. There were so many people there. It had the feeling of an outdoor event. It wasn't obviously it was a dome, but because of the the, the first of its kind translucent carbon fiber uh, fiberglass roof, the light came in and it looked like midday outdoors, and uh, you, you couldn't see anything on the screens because there was so much light in the building. It was it was washing out the screens until it started to get a little bit darker. But more importantly, because McMahon uh, blacked out the the pay per view and drove people to the building. Aretha Franklin, who would sing America the Beautiful to kick off the show, was late. She got stuck in a traffic jam outside the building, wasn't able to sound check, just kind of rolled into the building. They put her out there at the piano and away she went and knocked it out of the park without a she sound was up, check. She was up first and you're saying she got there that she got there late? She got so she got there so late she didn't have time for a sound check. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Well, to I mean, this is a huge event, and I'm I'm not talking about huge wrestling event. This was a huge event. Yes. It was the first million dollar gate, and when I say it was the first million dollar gate, it was a one point six million dollar gate. So it far surpassed, uh, you know, the one million dollar threshold. It was also the largest closed circuit gate at five point two million. As I discussed in my Andre episode, which is episode one thirty. The rematch from here that was broadcast on primetime network television was the first primetime network television broadcast for the WWF in 30 years. 
and it had 30 million viewers. This was a big event. Yeah. And probably, dare I say, the biggest ever? Really? Yeah, I mean, without the pomp and circumstance that went into this event and specifically this uh, headline match, who knows well if to what degree we're even talking about you know wrestling is one of those things it's like the cockroach it'll probably be around forever because it's been around forever for as long as there have been human beings on this planet you know we've competed in two things i can run to that spot faster than you or hey let's grapple and i can overpower you so wrestling's always been around and in all likelihood always will without this day this moment who knows how much a part of the pop culture it is right now? Probably far less. Yeah. We said 90, 93,000, 90,000, whatever it is. Let's just relive the first two. 19,000 fans in Madison Square Garden for, for WrestleMania 1. The second one that they did from three separate venues, 16,585 at the Nassau Coliseum, 9,000 at the Rosemont Horizon, 14,005 at the LA Memorial Sports Arena. All four of those venues combined was 59,000 people. This one's 90. So <laughs> it's like a much, much bigger crowd. And, you know, we after this, we would see the uh, the attendance for WrestleMania go back down to like the 15, 20 uh, level for a while. But But for this one, way, way up huge massive event the commentary team was gorilla monsoon and jesse the body ventura bobby heenan was on commentary for the dream team versus the rougeau's match bob euchre and mary hart were on commentary for the hearts bulldog match bob euchre on commentary for the bundy hillbilly gym match so uh they they put the commentary team in and out now i will say in wrestlemania 2 john we talked about how they were the celebrity commentators were not so great. I think looking back, Euchre was great at three and at four. You don't Euchre's think so? Only, you, no, no, I, I'm completely, I know I'm shaking my head because I'm an idiot, but uh, no, Euchre was fantastic. And uh, going back to something that we said uh, in, in the, the middle of, in one, I pointed out that, well, you know, when I think I, I had assumed that Vince McMahon did the welcome to WrestleMania and it's, it's that clip that we hear every year. And in fact, we hear it every week because it's in that very special. Yeah. It's very special to be in that WWF, WWE opening. All right. R Ric Flair was heartbroken when they took his woo out because he had to go sit in the corner for a little while about something that happened 20 years prior. He was very happy when he got put back in. The other thing that jumps out at me here, once again, I had assumed that it was Vince McMahon's voice because I really wasn't paying that much attention. And I know I've heard it for 35 plus years. I believe it's actually Bob Euchre's voice that is in that opening, the very famous, and it's only three syllables. So it's very, it's hard to kind of ascertain the Andre, the giant like that. Oh, you know, the, the, Yes. As I was rewatching this, I, you know, I, I kind of, I, my eyes weren't even on my, uh, my, my tablet at the moment. And I heard him say that and I'm like, I'll be damned. That's the Andre, the giant from the, I had always assumed it was Vince, but that sounds an awful lot like the clip. 
Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I, I had not made that connection. I'm glad you pointed that out because now I'm going to be like putting the two side by side and and why and, and listening. Yeah. Uh, Think does the inter- introductions. The uh, the ladies match is absent from this card. We had a ladies match on the first two combined time about four minutes. Uh, <laughs> that's not that's not true. The first one went a little bit longer, but the, the WrestleMania two one was only a minute twenty five. Yeah. But they did get Mula and McIntyre on there. Uh, Mula was in this, on this WrestleMania, but she was cornering Harley Race. So, yeah. and she she is your ladies' champion at that time at sixty three years old. Yes, yes. But she was relegated to carrying a pillow that held a crown on the seat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the first time that the Intercontinental Championship has changed hands at WrestleMania, and I'm, I, I assume we'll we'll be talking about that at more length in a minute. But sure. All right, let's go through the card. Uh, I'll I'll go through the first couple of matches, John, and then we'll stop and you know talk about them. Uh, Rick Martel and Tom Zank, the Can Am Connection, would win the opening contest against Ace Bob Orton and the Magnificent Morocco with Mister Fuji. Five minutes thirty-seven seconds. High cross body and a schoolboy combination for the pin gets the Can Am the win. The Mighty Hercules with Bobby Heenan goes up against Billy Jack Haynes. It's a double countout in 744. This one had a video package to kick things off, and it was all about who was the master of the full Nelson. And Hercules actually cut a pretty decent promo before the match, talking about the mythological history, and uh, Bobby Heenan hardly said anything as Hercules' mouthpiece just kept referring to Billy Jack as Billy Jerk. But Billy Jack would lock in the full Nelson. They'd fall to the outside. He wouldn't release. And then the referee would count them both out. Uh, But post-match, Hercules used his chain, and he hit uh, Billy Jack Haynes with that. So I believe this is only the only appearance of Billy Jack Haynes at WrestleMania. So one and done, and he's out. And then uh, a memorable six-person mixed tag match of King Kong Bundy, Little Beaver, uh, uh, no, sorry, King Kong Bundy, Little Tokyo, and Lord Littlebrook versus Hillbilly Jim, Little Beaver, and the Haiti Kid. Hillbilly Jim's team got the win when uh, when Bundy went after Little Beaver. So uh, DQ finish in this one. So, uh, John, what stands out in those first three matches? Uh, well, first of all, uh, Hercules, once again, like I – when I think of Hercules, I think of, you know, the physique, but not much about his ability. And uh, we just got through talking about uh, his previous appearance at WrestleMania, and he surprised me with his actual wrestling there. Uh, on this one, he surprised me a little bit with his excellent mythological uh, promo beforehand. And uh, just and as I said uh, on November 1st uh, on the Daily Wrestling News Show, so many of my memories of this era have one thing in common and it's bobby heenan and that was bobby's birthday uh when bobby at the end of this match while they're still outside they've gotten the double count out he runs up and just kind of like slams his knee into the back of billy jack haynes who finally releases and just turns around and looks at heenan the fright on Heenan's face. He's just such a good actor. The way he ran away, and like you said, Hercules would get the chain and bust them open. Uh, but just he just was so good at what he did, which was 
the role of chicken shit heel. Nobody better. Yeah. Nobody better than him. Uh, you know, and for, through the first few WrestleManias, I should actually do a, a, a count of the managers, right? Mm -hmm. Because, man, Heenan must have cornered a ton of these matches, especially if you go like the first six WrestleManias. He's probably got Hart, the record right up there. Yeah. yeah, right. Jimmy Hart being the other one. Two is kind of messed up because they did all these different locations. So you're, yeah. you know, your guy is not necessarily. Um, now Heenan should have been ringside for that six man mixed tag, but he said that he doesn't deal with little people. Yeah. So he didn't want any part of it. But uh, if you didn't see it coming, you probably should have because the whole time Jesse the Body Ventura is talking about he just wants to see Bundy get one of the little people. And Bundy said so in his pre-match promo. And then Hillbilly Jim's like, I'm going to protect you guys. So they let all, they put it all out there. Yeah. Well, and, and the funny thing is, in the end, now, again, these are wrestling behind-the-scenes stories, so who knows to what degree they're true. Uh, Bundy gets disqualified for picking up, um, which uh, was it? Beaver, Little Beaver. Little Beaver. Okay, he, scoop, he scoops, slams him, and lays him down pretty gently. Not too much worry there. That was enough to be in the DQ because, you know, the big fellows were not supposed to deal with, we're not supposed to mess with the little fellows in this match. He's just kind of standing around, and at this point, all the little fellows are supposed to come and kind of, like, stand between Bundy and Beaver. They take their time getting there and Bundy doesn't want to break kayfabe and just stand around. So he drops that elbow. That is probably the most memorable part of this match that you're, you're worried for the health of little Beaver. Wasn't supposed to happen. According oh, to the stories. <laughs> oh. That's fun to get those little tidbits. Now, uh, Bundy being, you know, we didn't talk about this in WrestleMania too, but he's a Jersey guy, John. He's yeah, a, absolutely. From your from your neck of the woods, uh, the walking condominium. Uh, okay, moving on through the card. Mary Hart has an interview with Miss Elizabeth, uh, which was very quickly interrupted by the macho man Randy Savage. Randy inter Randy interrupts and says, "Trepidatious is the word. You must be fascinated with the macho man. Ask your questions. I'll answer them one by one." Fascination. <laughs> Go ahead. What? Yeah, you know, meanwhile, Mary Hart just seems to want to swap recipes with Elizabeth. Like she's, <laughs> right. she's not going to talk about wrestling at all. <laughs> right, right. Fascination is the word of the day, and excitement is where I go. But Mary insists she has questions for Miss Elizabeth, to which Macho replies, No problem. My phone number's on my license plate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, what a character that man is. Was. Uh, next match, though, is the King Harley race with Bobby Heenan and Fabulous Moolah. They get a win over the Junkyard Dog by pinfall in a match where the loser must bow to the winner. Four minutes, 22 seconds. Harley race wins with a belly-to-belly -belly suplex for the pinfall victory. But um, here's the thing that stood out for me in this match is when Harley race went for a diving headbutt from the apron to the floor. That was a bit of a high spot, especially for somebody like Race, who is, you know, more of a hardened like guy and like a suplex, a vertical suplex is a high spot for for Race. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that was, you know, like I just got through saying uh, 
about the you know the executed Playboy Buddy Rose uh, when we were talking about uh, his appearance in in WrestleMania one and whatnot. Like Vince liked to take guys and change who you thought they were. So yeah. you you wonder if that got in Race's head and he felt like he had to live outside of his comfort zone because he is you know he's a grappler's grappler. That's a spot that you know I don't know if you watch hours and hours of tape on him you'll ever see him try again yeah right i thought that was crazy um before the match mean gene had comment got comments from bobby harley and mula um and and i thought to myself uh, similar to what you're saying here this is a case where you have harley race who is an exceptional promo he just you know tells it like he is like it is he's great he doesn't have that like bombastic flair to him that vince probably wants mm. but so that's why you've got heenan there and you've got mula heenan and mula both get to talk in this promo but they're of, of all the guys in the heenan family over the years uh and there are many i'm not sure you he he was needed here you are absolutely correct it, it almost was it was kind of like uh pairing heenan with flair right it was it was like you know like we're gonna bring this person in he doesn't need a mouthpiece, but the only person you know, we were going if assuming that they knew ahead of time they were going to do the king gimmick with him, the only person who deserved to walk in his aura was Bobby Heenan. Yeah, that's fair. Yep, yep. So per stipulation of the match, JYD did offer a little curtsy and a little bow, but then he crowned race with a chair uh, and then wore the robe out. As Heenan scampered away with the crown. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, up next is Vince McMahon with Hulk Hogan for an interview. And honestly, there is nothing you can do but read the text of these interviews because they are freaking hysterical. And I, I'm just not going to be able to do it with the, uh, the bombastic nature of Hulk Hogan here, but some of the non-believers in the... Uh, some of the non-believers in the gym said, see you later, Hulkster. This is your last ride. All I have to do was merely be a seven foot four, 550 pound giant. But Andre, you got to face the truth, brother, in its purest form, man. The purest truth there is, man. The training, the saying your prayers, and the eating your vitamins. And to beat me, man, you got to beat every Hulkamaniac, every little Hulkster in the world, everyone that plays it straight. All the ones that don't take any shortcuts, brother. And they usually say, if the dirty air don't get you, the politicians will. But in this case, it's going to be Hulkamania. And the reason it's going to get you, man, is the purest form of the truth there is. And I can't wait to see you go down at the feet of Hulkamania in front of 90,000 plus in the Silver Dome. What you going to do, Andre the Giant, when the real truth, the 24-inch pythons and Hulkamania runs wild on you? <laughs> <laughs> I okay, you, I, I thought it was you, the commandments. <laughs> I, I give you ultimate credit for sitting through that to to type it out word for word. So <laughs> big, uh, big props to you, sir, because <laughs> I couldn't sit through a, a you know, like I, I'm fast forwarding through these Hogan promos. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't. It takes me right back to being 12 years old. And I wasn't a 12 year old Hulkamaniac. I was the guy going like, oh, would he shut up? He never wrestles anyway. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> the what what the purest form of the truth man <laughs> it's, it's 
the train the train in the he kind of says it's the train in the say your prayers the eating your vitamins which are the commandments but um man <laughs> what a what a riot this guy is i can't even stand it <laughs> <laughs> The dream team, Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake with Johnny Valiant and Dino Bravo defeat Jacques and Raymond Rougeau by pinfall in 403. Bobby Heenan was on commentary for this match. This is where he explained that he doesn't deal with little people. Uh, Brutus made a mistake, hit, hit the hammer with a double axe handle off the top. The Rougeaus had a visual pin, but Dino Bravo jumped in. And uh, behind the referee's back, he nailed Raymond. Dream Team picked up the pin. Johnny Valiant, Hammer, and Bravo left without Brutus. So this is the big Brutus, the Barber Beefcake face turn. Yeah, yeah. He seemed, you know, for absolutely no reason, seemed upset that they would cheat to win. Well, you came to the ring as a heel. You just had a change of heart sitting there, standing there on the apron. Okay, fine. Good enough. Well, I enjoyed... uh, good guy brutus beefcake so I'm, I'm i'm all here for it but you know it just was out of nowhere and unnecessary <laughs> yeah talk about another guy who uh does a promo like hogan though by the way that's good. that's that's coming in the in the the uh the years to follow so strutting and cutting mm-hmm. the next match uh where brutus really does the big face turn is rowdy rowdy piper uh, defeating Adrian Adonis with the sleeper hold in a hair match. Six minutes, 33 seconds. Piper says no retreat, no surrender before going out. This is his, and I'm going to put up the quotes, retirement match. Uh, <laughs> and Jimmy Hart took a beating in this one. Uh, but Adonis had goodnight Irene cinched in. He released before the referee counted Piper out as Adonis was prematurely celebrating Brutus Beefcake pops in the ring. He had never left and woke Piper up. Piper put the sleeper hold on, got the win. Brutus Beefcake then cut Adrian Adonis's hair. And this is when he becomes the barber. And as I explained in episode 70, Roddy Piper found John Carpenter backstage and got himself the lead acting gig for They Live. So uh, Piper is off for a minute. He has, uh, when he resurfaces, it'll be, Again at WrestleMania in two years. We'll talk about that uh, in, on uh, Friday. In a couple days, yes, sir. Yeah, J- Jimmy Hart, like you said, had a had a bad day here. First, he's used as a projectile in the match. Uh, then he uh, he loses a few hairs after the match too. And oof, <laughs> J- Jimmy Hart could take a bump for a small guy. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, Adrian's second WrestleMania in a row. And it's his last one, um, but yeah, fun fun match. I it's 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 always one I remember of Roddy's. It's a classic one. So absolutely. Jesse Ventura took a trip to the ring so that he could be introduced before the crowd, which turns out to be a WrestleMania tradition that we'll be talking about for episodes to come. <laughs> uh, it actually, but I noticed it here, and I I don't know if this was the case in one and two. Uh, but he seems to be wearing wrestling gear. Um, It might just be that he's wearing like a super tight, you know, elastic style tank top or whatever, but he he looks like he's ready to go at any moment. Sort of like Jerry Lawler. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is I have in my notes here, uh, Finkel introduces Ventura for apparently no reason until about a minute into the match, he absconds with a certain someone. As you will get to, I'm sure. 
I might not have that note, but <laughs> you'll have to. So it, the match John's referring to, it's D- Dangerous Danny Davis and the Hart Foundation with Jimmy Hart getting a win over Tito Santana and the British Bulldogs in an 852. Bob, Bob Euchre and Mary Hart are on commentary for this ma- match. The Hart Foundation, Jimmy Hart, and Dave, Danny Davis are interviewed backstage. Uh, Jimmy Hart calls the Bulldogs crybabies. Leading up to this Danny, this match, Danny Davis had screwed the Bulldogs. He had screwed Tito Santana. Uh, we see Tito hit the flying forearm, but the anvil prevented Tito from uh, slapping on the figure four. So Davy Boy Smith hit a tombstone on Danny Davis about three years before that move became famous. And uh, Davy also gave Danny Davis his running power slam, but Davis was able to waffle Smith with Jimmy Hart's megaphone and got the pinfall. Now, what were you talking about with Jesse Ventura? Okay, about one minute into, like, you know, I'm sitting, I'm watching him going, like, all right, they introduced Jesse Ventura, but what for? Then all of a sudden, about a minute into the match, he's in the little rolling cart, which is one of my favorite parts about WrestleMania three, the, the, the ring looking carts that brought everyone to and from the ring that I guess were basically designed to get Andre out there so that he wouldn't have to walk the aisle. He takes off in the cart with Matilda. <laughs> Uh oh <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> it's also of note here that this was uh this was a six-man tag of course but at the time uh the heart found it the reason danny davis is there is like you said he had screwed tito out of the intercontinental title he had screwed the bulldogs out of the tag titles that were on the heart foundation hmm. in a normal year the heart foundation would have then defended those titles against the bulldogs here at the show of shows but this was right this was shortly after uh dynamite's terrible back injury he was in so much pain he was pretty much useless to himself at this point in terms of in-ring work and he was still ready to go anyway they came up with the idea for the six man to protect him from himself so he would have to do minimal work he could be out there he could be on the card he could draw the big paycheck but he wouldn't have to do much wrestling. So, and this, I, but you know, I didn't check the last couple of years, but at the, certainly at this time, but for decades to come, this would be the only WrestleMania to not have the tag titles defended. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That, That in fact, the titles changed hands, I believe in the first two WrestleManias. And in three out of four. four. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not in five. Five was successful defense. But yeah, they changed again in six. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, up next, uh, Andre the Giant and Mean Gene Okerlund has Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant backstage. Uh, and similar to Hogan, I did transcribe the Bobby Heenan interview here because I thought this was, this was excellent from Heenan. And it's awesome in co- to contrast against Hogan because where Hogan is just saying things, literally <laughs> just saying things and it gets over like crazy because he's, you know, so bombastic and over the top. Uh, Heenan just lays it out. He says, he's going to become the heavyweight champion of the world. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the man is undefeated in over 15 years as a professional athlete. Hulk Hogan has never been in the ring or met a man bigger than him, stronger than him, taller than him, that weighs more than him, and with the burning will inside more than Andre the Giant, Hulkamania is over. Hulkamania is dead. 
Bobby Heenan just lays it lays it out, John. And I, I know I, I know you always talk about how he's you know the best at what he what he does and whatnot, but damn, he just put it out there. Yeah, and he's he's coming. Once again, this is why he is my favorite part of this whole show because he's the thread running throughout the show. He's out at ringside for multiple matches. He joins commentary in one of those last matches just to go on and gloat on how he's 2-0 and at that point because he doesn't count the fact that his guys yeah. lost in the, the mix tag. Uh, here he's just or, coming or the out double of, count out, by the way. <laughs> he's coming out of his skin happy about how He's going to be the manager of the world champion, and uh, he's just – God, he was such a treasure in this industry. Yes, yes. Uh, real quick, next match is Butch Reed versus uh, Coco Beware. Uh, Slick and Frankie are at ringside for this. Butch Reed gets the pin with a handful of tights. After the match, Tio Santana ripped Slick's clothes right off his back. That hideous green suit that he's wearing. <laughs> I love the back and forth banter between uh, Ventura and Monsoon about the cheap cheapness of the suit. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> the whole thing cost him less than $39 or something, <laughs> Monsoon would say. <sighs> Ricky Steamboat with George the Animal Steel gets a win over Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth at ringside. Ricky Steamboat becomes the intercontinental champion here. Um, largely considered the greatest wrestling match in WWF history, and there's no question that it's up there. The video package explains the whole thing, the whole feud between Savage and Steamboat and the double hacks handle over the draping barricade. Pre-match comments, Savage says he's the lord and master of the ring, and history beckons the macho man, and he was right. Monsoon and Ventura even talk about how the, much the fans like Savage, which is important for you know what's to come in the next year as Savage ascends. Um, Steamboat says he'll come back with the Intercontinental Championship and reach new horizons. So deep in the match, Dave Hebner takes a bump, similar to Ric Flair's, by the way. He wobble wobbles and then falls down. <laughs> Savage hits the elbow for a visual pin. No referee. So he's protected in this match. Savage had the W here. Savage grabs the bell, climbs the top rope. George Steele pushes him off of the ropes, and Savage goes for a big body slam. Steamboat rolls up Savage with a small package and gets the win. And and this, uh, you know, I, I mean, now, okay, it's 2022 or 2023 by the time this is airing. Um, this is not Omega Okada, no. but at the time, it absolutely was. Right. This yeah. this was you know and and uh, at on it was under fifteen minutes, but just the fact yeah, the fact that it was over seven makes it stand out. You know, on these cards, it was yes. fourteen and a half minutes. There was what? Uh, what's the the, the twenty three near falls? Something like that, and. Uh, it, it also stands out for the fact that Ricky Steamboat is among the greatest of the generation of the call it in the ring guys. And yet Macho Man scripted almost every second of this match yeah. and, uh, you know, vehemently pushed it on Steamboat. You know, I think he I think the, the story goes that he faxed him the move by move breakdown so that he could practice and this, that and the other thing. And 
it just was at this time it was it stood out it stood out above anything that anyone had ever seen at that point and you know it still was it's still worthy of mention today but it stood out as amazing for quite some time thereafter and helped change the way wrestling was performed you know you still you're still always going to have the big men doing big men things but this was without this match all right also the steroid trials but without this match do we ever get brett and sean as world champions i don't know yeah yeah these guys were not enormous guys right i mean there's not much more to say about it it's just an exceptional exceptional match um ventura says I haven't seen a match like that in my 12 years. How about you and your 50 girl? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not that far off. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, I I think the 12 might be kind of modest to be honest. <laughs> but uh, just, you know, they're so crisp. Those arm drags from Steamboat, even this uh, the inside cradle small package was done exceptionally well. The psychology in here for like a match that's pre-scripted like this to be able to have the the crowd in the palm of your hand with the psychology of this match is just um, super well thought out and super interesting that you could plan it all out and it worked just as you planned. So great stuff. And like we said, you know, Randy Savage go on to do very big things. And this was kind of a big stepping stone for that. Sure. Up next, it's the Honky Tonk Man with manager Jimmy Hart versus Jake the Snake Roberts with Alice Cooper. And there were major distractions in this. Honky gets the win by grabbing the ropes. Jake smashes Honky's guitar on the ring post. Honky leaves, but Alice Cooper makes sure Jimmy Hart doesn't get away easily. Jake grabs uh, Jimmy from behind, and and Cooper gets the snake. So uh, Jake's your guy. Yeah, and uh, (laughs) this... The end of this match is more about Alice Cooper and Jimmy Hart. Uh, so, you know, Jake has Hart in a full Nelson. And Jimmy Hart is legitimately terrified of snakes. So the terror <laughs> you see on his face is 100% real. And he, you know, as the, the backstage story goes, he legitimately hurt himself just flailing all around and trying to get out of that hole that he knew he wasn't going to get out of because that, you know, that, that's what they were supposed to do next. But uh, yeah, Alice Cooper goes for the bag. He brings out Damien and Jimmy Hart getting, you know, winds up getting up close and personal with Damien. And uh, you know, this, this is my guy, Jake putting over, you know, that Jake was so often used as a stepping stone because whether he was a face or a heel, he was so over every time he opened his mouth. And, you know, this would be, even though the, the, the story is that Honky wasn't necessarily supposed to become the Intercontinental Champion, it was just a, a matter of chance the way it worked out. He would go on to have a record run. And, uh, you know, a match like this with Jake was a stepping stone to making him, uh, putting him in that level. Yeah. Another over the top guy who, has the craziest promos this guy honky uh in contrast to jake who's just quiet talker you know lays it out and made you feel it in your bones right 
Gene Okerlund announces the 93,000 number next. And then we have the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov with Slick defeat the Killer Bees by disqualification because Hacksaw Jim Duggan came running to the ring uh, and he jumped in the ring, clobbers Iron Sheik with his two by four, which led to the disqualification. So, you know, Sheik has been on all the WrestleManias. I believe Volkov as well. Yeah, so. yeah, you are correct. Yeah. Duggan uh, cuts off Volkov singing of the Russian anthem and then wallops Sheik with the two by four. So he played as, you know, I almost forgot. The, I remember, I remember Sheik. I remember Volkov. I remember Duggan. I almost forgot that it was the killer bees that were involved right. in this match. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and then main event time Hogan Andre. Hogan, obviously the champion defending the the title against Andre the Giant. Hogan would win by pinfall to retain the WF championship. But this also, this match, I don't know if everything was intentional here, but it was, uh, maybe it was just a happy coincidence, but that right in the beginning of this match, uh, there's a quick count on Hogan. And Andre goes down on top of Hogan and the referee slaps the mat three times, but uh, but doesn't doesn't get the pin. It's just uh, he hit the, the the third strike was to brace himself on the ring, I guess, is what what they would ultimately say. But it's that that's it, that's the moment that led to like the whole next year of programming that led to the rematch that led to Andre giving the belt to DiBiase that led to the tournament at WrestleMania four to crown a new champion. So not only was this like the big moment that everything had built to that caused this enormous event to take place and then the enormous rematch to take place on broadcast television but it also catapulted them right into their you know future programming um so incredibly important match yeah well, like you just said it perfectly this this match was the culmination of a, a big lead up to this moment but it also set the stage for another full calendar year and then also Andre turned heel for this. Yeah. I mean, he turned heel for this. And I talked about him going back to Babyface to finish out his career in episode 97. But this was a, this was a big deal for Andre to turn heel and, and fight Hogan here. And Bob Uecker was the ring announcer. And as, as you just mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's it's he's the one who said Andre the Giant in the, in the opening of uh, that. Well, we have to go back and do the side by side, but that's what it yeah. appears to be. Mary Hart's the timekeeper. Uh, Hogan went for the body slam extremely early, like I mentioned. Uh, that moment led to the rematch. I discussed that in episode 136. Hogan wins. Big, iconic body slam that we see at the beginning of every WWE show. So, like, a lot borrowed from this event. Uh, and a leg drop for the pinfall victory. And uh, I loved Jesse doing the tail of the tape at the top of the match as well. I thought that was cool. Yes, the, the side, we got to know everything down to the, the, the size of Andre's wrists and hands. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, he's great. Him and uh, Monsoon work so well together, uh, you know, perhaps outdone by Monsoon and Heenan, but, you know, they're they're one and one A in, in my brain. And, you know, while Hogan's, you know, sending him home happy, you know, he's hitting the bow and arrow and you know, he's, he's doing his thing at the end of the show. The enduring visual for me is once again those awesome little carts made up to look like miniature versions of the ring. Andre and Heenan heading away from the ring, Heenan in his white bedazzled tuxedo, 
with his head in his hands, completely disgusted and melancholy over this whole buildup. I mean, he had them, he, he had them make a new belt for Andre. There needed to be a belt that would fit a real champion. That belt never got used, except in the movie over the time. No holds barred. Uh, but it was it literally it, it appeared in one either Piper's Pit or Snake Pit. And then it was never seen again because Andre didn't win the title. And Keenan had spent the whole day. He pops up five times on this show before he gets to the ring with Andre. And the, the look in his face of all is lost at the end is the thing that I remember most about the main event other than the actual scoop slam. Yeah. Yes, I, I know the exact camera shot you're talking about. I, it's burned into my memory as well. And it's funny. Heenan's not necessarily a manager of champions, is he? He, um, It was years before he had any title belts in his stable. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was more a manager of champions before he got to the WWF. Yeah. And then he just became an amazing manager. But because he was always the heel manager always coming up just short yeah yeah i mean he had the king in his stable <laughs> almost constantly you know harley race and then haku and, and whatnot um in those early years but i think and i might be wrong but i think the brain busters were heenan's first gold when they when they had the tag titles they're Arnold. before they're before perfect in the ice yeah they would have to be before that's perfect. that's what i'm thinking yeah. Yeah, yeah you might be right so uh rick rude's in there too right yeah so but yeah so that's wrestlemania 3 42 minutes john so uh we went a little long today yeah <laughs> time for us to let the folks get back to their daily lives that's right so this has been the daily wrestling news show for march 15th join us tomorrow we're gonna be talking about wrestlemania 4 which is you know one of my favorites despite it being critically dumped on all the time. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we'll see you all tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show. See ya.